verses 9 through 14. However, I'll be beginning the reading at uh, verse 1. I'll be reading verses 1 uh, through 14. Here, once again, the very Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declare to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of, of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, our ears are numb to your word. Our understanding is slight. Our, uh, our uh, hopes and our longings are often far from you. And this day as we come to worship you, we pray that you would reorient our ears, our eyes, our thoughts unto the very words of life which you've given us. And as we consider how Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae and and talked to them about how he prays for them, I pray, Father, that you would give us that kind of understanding, that we too would follow in the steps of Paul in this kind of praying, that your kingdom would indeed advance and that we would be patient and long-suffering to see that come to fruition, that we would do that we would live out that patience and long-suffering with joy and high expectation for your promises are always sure and true and they come to fruition even if we don't see the advancing of your kingdom we pray father that we would look in the right places that we would see the work that you're doing in our lives in the lives of our families and trust in you for the increase all this we ask this day as we look into this passage with great hope, Lord, the hope of the calling that you've given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the promises of eternal redemption in him. And we ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, brethren, today as we progress into the 
Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, we find a description of Paul's primary activity toward this church. And that primary activity is prayer. Uh, you'll recall from last week that I said Paul had very little to do with this church. In fact, nothing in terms of its coming into existence. He was in uh, how, under house arrest in Rome, uh, and Epaphras is with him, uh, who had uh, first-hand knowledge of the work in Colossae. Timothy is with him, is going to be sent to Ephesus as the pastor in Ephesus soon. But Paul is in under house arrest in Rome, uh, and he learns of the faith of this church and the work that they're doing, the good work that they're doing, and he writes this letter to them. And this is one of the few places in Scripture where we, we have the contents of prayers described. Of course, our Lord did so with his disciples when they asked, how shall we pray? And he taught them. And we, we see that in the Gospels. Here, Paul is telling uh, the Colossian church, this is how I am praying for you. These are the things that are important on my mind as I think about your witness. So this is one of the few places in Scripture where we see a description of the prayers that people pray. Now, of course, we see actual prayers, and so they, those, those aren't described necessarily, except in the, in the, the case of Christ uh, and the Lord's Prayer. But here we see that kind of description. And here we find Paul describing his own activities, the hopes he has for the church in Colossae, the circumstance of God's grace having been poured out on that church. This then uh, it will become the outline for our sermon, Paul's motivation to prayer, the contents of Paul's prayers, and the deliverance from darkness that the Colossian church and we have in the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today's lesson is a lesson on prayer, prayer for Christ's church. So let's begin with Paul's motivation to prayer. Let's ask a few questions first. What motivates a man to prayer? What motivates you to prayer? What causes a man to turn to the Almighty God and pray for himself or for another? What goads us to that? Is it a sense of need? Often it is. Is it a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving? I should hope so. Is it a sense of duty? Well, I think that's part of it as well. And I believe that these motivations can and do prompt us to pray. But I also believe that those promptings do not come apart from the activity of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and minds as individuals. We are not given to prayer. We are not, that's not part, even though we're redeemed people, the old man doesn't want to pray. He doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a, a supreme being that governs his life. And that's where we live in, in our old man. But the new man, the new man is guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. And I believe when we pray, we are being directly guided by the Spirit to do that. Because our, our human nature is not given to those things. Something has to prompt us. And I believe the Spirit does that. And I believe that these motivations are promptings from the Spirit too. The motivation to, to pray for a need. The, the, the motivation to pray with thanksgiving. 
and gratitude, the motivation to pray as a, as a matter of duty. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem like a loving response to God. Brethren, it is a loving response to God. Praying out of a sense of duty is a good thing. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. So how does God work this out through the Spirit in our hearts and minds? How does He prompt us to this end? I believe that it's done through the Word of God and God's providential decree. Through the Word of God and God's providential decree. And I will endeavor to explain this uh, with, with what I hope will be a little bit more clarity here in a few moments. You may recall from last week's sermon that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church which he had no personal contact with. So I, I want to keep emphasizing that there's reasons for that. And part of it is because of the kind of prayer that he, that he prays and describes here in the, our passage today. He does have a dear fellow servant, as he calls him, named Epaphras, who has come to describe the circumstance in Colossae. Epaphras having firsthand knowledge, it may very well be, many theologians believe that Epaphras was the church planner at Colossae. This we see from last week's text, verses 3-8. through So God in His providences has brought a fellow servant into the life of the Apostle Paul, named Epaphras, who informs Paul of the faith of the Colossian church in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. He's describing this to Paul. (coughs) How many of you have had friends who, who come into your home or into your workplace or fellow believers who are sharing with you another friend someplace else whose life has been blessed by God in some manner, whether it be in their church or some blessing in their life that was evidently the hand of God. Maybe it's a healing that was unexpected. Or maybe a spouse came into the life of a friend who who unexpectedly found this person. And God, by His providence, made these things come to pass. And somebody comes and reports these things to you. That may seem like something that's innocuous, right? Unimportant. Trivial. I say otherwise. Epaphras came into Paul's life and described what was happening in Colossae. And Paul starts to pray for them unceasingly. This was a providential circumstance that Epaphras would come and report on this. Paul had no expectation of this, and yet it's happening. And Paul's response is, this is great. This is wonderful. May God richly bless this, and I'm going to commit some time to prayer for these people on a regular basis. Jesus, the personification of the Word, as the Apostle John describes Him, has wrought faith in believers in the town of Colossae, which Paul has never visited. And that faith has borne fruit. They are known for their love for one another. And John writes that in his first epistle. They will know us by our love. Isn't that what he writes? What about us? Do they know us by our love for one another? Do we have a reputation for that? If not, I hope we would aspire to that. 
And so Paul, learning about this, his heart is warmed in this by the Spirit, and the Spirit goads him to pray for this work. Now I want to ask us a question. How often do we learn of things from a testimony of others on a daily basis? And how often do we then pray for those circumstances of which we've learned? Now, often during our prayer time on Sundays, I solicit prayer requests from you and you give prayer requests of people that we don't know. Uh, Levi shared one this morning. His friend Dan, he and his wife are going to have a baby in a couple weeks and Levi's asked for prayer. How often have we prayed for ill uh, folks who are ill that are outside our congregation? And sometimes we've had uh, the sad news of, of their deaths, but other times of their great healings. And we don't even know these people. Such was the case with Paul. God providentially made him aware of this, and as part of the body of Christ, he takes upon himself the responsibility of praying for people he has no idea who they are. And takes the time then to write a letter which is preserved for eternity for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I would encourage you, if you can, to write letters to people and encourage them in the faith. I doubt that they will be preserved for eternity. Uh, certainly not with the, uh, the blessing of the Holy Spirit causing them to be made part of the canon. I believe the canon's closed. So that's not going to happen. But this kind of activity is the kind of activity we should follow after. These are examples to us. I believe God is prompting us through His providences and the working of the Holy Spirit each day. Things like this happen to us all the time. And they seem to just pass by. But I think God is using that to prompt us to do a good work. And that is to pray for a variety of needs. We learn of the faithfulness of others and God's providential handiwork from the witness of others. And I believe God the Holy Spirit is using these circumstances to prompt us to pray. Now there are three kinds of prayers that are being had here. I've mentioned them already. Prayers of need, prayers of of thanksgiving and prayer of the prayer of duty. Uh, and so I, I believe that these three kinds of prayers are the kinds of things that Paul is praying for in this text. And so let's take a look at that. First of all, in verses 3, 4, and verse 9, we read these words, We give thanks, this is Paul writing to the Colossians, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Verse 9, For this reason we also, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. This is a daily activity that Paul has taken upon himself. To pray for this church. Now we're going to see in a moment what he actually prays. But his first thoughts, is that of, his first thoughts are that of thanksgiving. Here is a witness to Jesus Christ in a major city in the Roman Empire and it's flourishing because they've become notorious for the kind of love that they exercise in that city. So much so that it's come to his attention and he writes them a letter. 
We see Paul motivated to pray for the Colossians out of thankfulness for their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. And these are the foundational motivations Paul has for his prayers for the church in Colossae. They believe in Christ Jesus and it's proven by their love for one another. He has learned of God's handiwork in their lives and he rejoices with prayers of thanksgiving. He does not envy God's handiwork in their lives. He gives thanks. Paul then lists the contents of his prayers for the Colossians. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be first filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Second, that you... The first and the second don't appear in the text. I put those in. So, that, that's a, you know, a modern day thing. So, I, I just don't want you to think I'm, that's in the text. It's not there. First, filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Second, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Three, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Three things are listed here that are instructed for us. And, and each one has two subpoints. The first being filled with the knowledge of His will. And... What does that mean? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Those are the two subpoints. Second, that they walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him. And the two subpoints being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then the third, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. What? For all patience. And, and secondly, for all long suffering with joy. These are the things that are descriptive of these three points. Now, I could preach an entire sermon on just actually each of the points individually. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you a survey of it. But I think this is helpful in, in informing us how we ought to pray in like manner. How we ought to follow the example of Paul. In verse 9, Paul is praying for a continued sanctification of the Colossians. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Where is the knowledge of God's will found? Only in His Holy Word. But attending that knowledge are two very important qualifications. That it be understood with all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. So God's saying, I want, these, I want you people to be filled with the knowledge of God both with wisdom and spiritual understanding. So it's not just enough to know about God if our faith doesn't produce works, right? Isn't that what James teaches us? Faith without works is dead. So we've got to understand what it means to follow after Christ with wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's emphasizing the importance of carefully handling the Word of God. Carefully handling the Word of God. We have to be careful about the Word of God and to handle it rightly, which means that we need, we need discernment, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. And I would say that those two things could be summed up in the word discernment. 
Paul then turns to the outcome of true saving faith. As I mentioned before, James teaches us in his epistle that faith without works is dead. And Paul prays for the Colossians that they walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Well, how is this manifested? Walking worthy of the Lord means that we are fruitful in every good work, Paul describes, and that we increase in the knowledge of God. Again, sanctification has to happen as we follow God and the example of our Lord Jesus to be conformed to His image, as Paul would write in another place. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's walk, walking worthy of the Lord means that we are fruitful in these things. Now, fruitfulness and increasing in the knowledge of God are very closely aligned. We, we speak of that often in our church. Fruitfulness comes from an, an increased understanding. We use some Latin words that are pretty big. We use the words orthopraxy and orthodoxy. Orthopraxy, meaning right practice, flows from our orthodoxy, our right understanding. And I believe these two things are put together here by Paul himself. He wants them to show forth good works, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So he is promoting in prayer both their orthopraxy and their orthodoxy. And Paul wrote a similar thing to the Corinthian church. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of this culminates in bringing glory to God. And that was what he began with in this particular petition. What does it mean to be walking worthy of the Lord? Fully pleasing Him. What does that mean? That means that we do all to His glory. Thus, if we are to pray that we are to be worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all that we do, we must also pray that fruit is born out of our faith in Jesus Christ and that our knowledge of our, the Lord increases. Both of those should be part of our prayers. And then the third petition that he mentions is that we be strengthened with all, that the Colossians be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. This is manifested with patience and long suffering, long suffering that includes joy. Now it's interesting that strength, might and power in the church are manifested with patience and long suffering. Strength, might and power are manifested with patience and long suffering. We don't usually think about patience and long-suffering as a manifestation of power and might, do we? No, we think of armies advancing. We think of heavy artillery. We think power and might comes from different places. Well, that's not what God teaches us in the Scriptures. Was Jesus patient with all those who hated Him? Even on the cross, did He not pray that the Lord would forgive them for they knew not what they were doing? Talk about patience. The man's being put to death. And he's praying for the well-being of others. Long-suffering? Think about your own life. (laughs) Yes, God must be very long-suffering when I think about my own life. And how often I don't follow after His commandments. 
How often I follow after the devices of my own heart and not after God. Surely he's long-suffering. And the power and might of the Gospel are manifested through patience and long-suffering in God's people as well. We, if we're going to be conformed to the image of God, we must understand what patience and long-suffering is all about. We have to live those things out. Now, he's writing to a church that's growing, that's a witness for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, be patient. Be long-suffering. And this is the power of the Gospel. I think this is in keeping with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 13 when He's giving the parables of the kingdom. Verse 31 of that chapter, Another parable He put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." Do we look at the kingdom of God and the work in the kingdom like planting a seed and waiting for it to grow such that it becomes a great tree where the birds of the air flock to it for safety and to build their homes and their nests? Does that take patience to wait for that tree to grow? You bet you. If you've ever planted a tree from a seed, it takes a lot of patience as you watch that thing grow. And in fact, typically it won't grow to its full potential in your own lifetime, depending upon the kind of tree that it is. Now, if it's a bamboo tree, it it might reach its full potential in in just a few months. But if it's an oak tree, or I've got a a black walnut tree in my backyard that is huge, uh, I don't know when it was planted, but my guess it was planted before the people that built the house that I lived in, that I live in, built that house. It's an old big tree, and it grew from a seed. It takes patience. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. Another parable, he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Again, patience, waiting. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Now the pearl of great price is also spoken of in that chapter. And our faith should be like that. It should be that precious to us. As precious as a pearl of great price. But pearls don't happen overnight, do they? It's a grain of sand in an oyster. And then over time, calcium is developed around it. And it grows and it grows. Do we think of the kingdom of God in our own lives like that? That it's growing like a pearl? A pearl of great price? Is there any greater pearl that we could own than that of our own salvation? And it needs to grow. And it needs to be cultivated. God's kingdom grows slowly and comprehensively. Yes, at times the growth is seemingly massive and explosive as it was at Pentecost and during the Reformation. But consider those parables of our Lord. God's kingdom is normally characterized not by outbursts of growth, but steady, comprehensive growth 
like that which is seen in a small seed that grows into a great tree, or like leaven that must germinate throughout the bread, or like a pearl that grows in an oyster. So then how must, how must we as believers react to the slow, methodical growth of the church? Well, Paul prays for patience and long-suffering for the Colossian church. And I think we should do the same. We live in an instantaneous society. I've said this over and over. We are given to the just-add-water mentality of our social order. Or stick it in the microwave and 20 seconds later it's a hot meal. Or pull it up on your cell phone. Knowledge that would take months to find without it. And it's instantaneously at your fingertips. We live in that kind of society. We are used to things happening at breakneck speeds. Jesus says that His kingdom is like the growth of a tree or leaven that leavens bread or a pearl of great price. Therefore, we need patience and we need to be long-suffering. It is noteworthy that Paul adds to the petition for long-suffering the phrase, with joy. Long-suffering with joy. Brethren, long-suffering by definition must include suffering, right? Long-suffering? It must include suffering. And by definition, it must be long in time. Otherwise, it's not long-suffering. So not only is it including suffering, it's something that happens for a long period of time. And each of us endures that in our lives. Very different ways. But each of us endures long-suffering with different things, don't we? Think about your own lives. I can't begin to describe what those are. It could be health. It could be problems with family members. It could be uh, desires to achieve in your own vocation and those who would hamper that. It could be any number of things. But long-suffering happens in our lives. Children you probably are anxious to grow up, right? I want to be like that or that person or that person. I want to do those things. Trust me, enjoy your childhood. It's a good thing to have a childhood. We who are older wish we had it again. So we kind of envy you maybe in a little bit. Uh, But long-suffering is endured by everyone. Paul says it needs to be accompanied with joy. This is against the nature of the natural man. Our natural man doesn't want to enjoy long-suffering. We don't want to do it with joy. We would rather grumble and complain, right? Well, Paul recognizes the weakness of fallen man, and he prays for joy to attend the long-suffering of the Colossian church. This, brethren is where we have to really embrace that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose, including the long-suffering. Well, then the last petition, or the last portion of the prayers that Paul gives, returns back to the notion of thanksgiving. He starts with thanksgiving. He starts with the testimony of the Colossian church that they've put their faith and trust in God and that they are being fruitful. 
with love for one another. He then deals with these three petitions that we've just looked at, and then he returns to the notion of thanksgiving. In verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Notice here that according to the Apostle Paul, the church at Colossae has been made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's not yet some future event. They have been made those things. They have been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son. And they have been redeemed through Christ's blood for the forgiveness of their sins. This isn't something they're waiting on. This is, some, this is reality. This is who they are. Paul is giving thanks to the Father who's accomplished all three of these profound benefits for the Colossian church. And he's making them aware, through his authority as an apostle, that they are recipients of these profound gifts. They've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They have been given, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but back in Matthew chapter 4, the Lectio Continua today, it speaks about the Syrian people being brought a great light as, a, as a, the, uh, uh, the very manifestation of what one of the prophets had prophesied would happen in Christ going to, to Zebulun and Naphtali near Galilee in his early part of his ministry. The great light is coming. Well, Paul's telling this to the Colossian church. You have been delivered out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. They have been given an inheritance in the kingdom of God, and their sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. What more could they ask for? The Colossian church is occupied by the children of the living God. You are the children of the living God. They are the apple of His eye. They are redeemed, the redeemed of God. They are His own special people. I'm borrowing from different passages throughout the Scriptures. This is who Colossae, the church at Colossae is. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the children of God. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are my own special people. This is not some yet future circumstance. It is at hand. It is the reality. And brethren, I can say the same of you. You are the children of God. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are the apple of God's eye. You are His own special people. And we should give thanks. So what is our lesson here? We should learn from this passage how we ought to pray. We should learn from this passage the importance of giving thanks. We too, like the Colossians, are the people God has chosen as His own. We are of the kingdom of God. Salvation has come to us by the will of God as it did in the church at Colossae. And He has qualified us to be partakers of these inestimable blessings. I stuttered there a little bit. 
This he did through his son Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And for this, we should always be grateful and express that gratitude with thanksgiving, as Paul does here. Brethren, we are blessed beyond our imaginations. We have been given power to advance the kingdom. And we need to do so with patience and long-suffering with one another and in the circumstances in which we live. But we must never lose sight of the fact that Christ's kingdom shall cover this earth as the waters cover the seas. And we will be part of that and are part of that. And let the redeemed of God say so. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray.